Learning a second and third language has opened my mind in ways I did not expect. Language can be such a barrier we feel divided or separated from people who are speaking a language we don't understand. I can tell you from lots of personal experience, there's nothing better than coming across someone struggling to speak English only to have me meet them where they stand. Their eyes light up and they relax. That's why I love Rosetta Stone. Learning on your own with books or even in class is tough because you learn in a way that does not make sense to the human brain. Rosetta Stone is as close to immersion as you can get without abandoning your family and responsibilities to go live in Spain for six months. Rosetta Stone has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. You learn fast. It's intuitive. There's no English translation, so it's sink or swim, and it has the true accent feature which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Psychopedia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com psychopedia. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com psychopedia today. Tank. Yes. How important is Cash, not only to me personally, but to our podcast? Oh, he's integral. Integral. He's the CEO of Psychopedia. I love him and I would do anything for him, but vet bills get very expensive. So fast. Especially when it's an emergency vet bill. So here's the good news. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Oh, I've heard about insurance before. I've never had it. With Spot Plans, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. That could be a whole lot of cash back for unexpected vet bills, which can pile up fast. Question, is that cash with a K or? (laughs) Funny. Spot Pet Insurance plans don't just offer coverage for unexpected accidents and illnesses. You can add their preventative care benefit to your plan, helping to ensure that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit www.spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample dash policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Welcome to another episode of the Psychopedia Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tank Sinatra, here with my co-host... Investigator Slater. Let's hear that voice. It's a good voice. I got a good voice, too. I don't love it, but people seem to like it. It's good. I like your voice. Eh. It's unique. It's identifiable, too. It's definitely unique. I was waiting on a table once. It was girls from a home who were, like, not in a good situation financially, and I was, like, trying to take care of them, and this girl goes, yo, why you sound like a munchkin? (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I hope you never find out. That's the most brutal thing that was ever said on this podcast. Yeah, I was like 27 years old too. It hurt, hurt. Yeah. I was like, listen, you little... (laughs) (laughs) All right. Charity, being nice. That's cool. No good deed goes unpunished. Exactly. And I had a complex about it for a long time. But what am I going to do? Change my voice? You don't need to. I don't think so. (laughs) So yeah, here on the Psychopedia Podcast, we get into some gnarly crimes I'm clueless, not a big true crime guy, and it's not that I don't like it. It's just that it, I'm figuring out that it scares me 
and it puts me on edge and it makes me feel like the world is a darker place. But I also listen to Doomsday podcasts and I love those. So like six of one, half dozen of the other. I don't know why you find comfort in doomsday scenarios when the entire world is at risk of being destroyed and you can do nothing about it and you find comfort in that. Oh, talk about the pot calling the kettle black <laughs> investigators later. Listen, yeah, with these cases, there's a lot that can be learned. Sure, there's a lot that can be learned in about. In an apocalyptic situation, you are helpless. Oh, just if there's an apocalypse... Kill me. Okay, noted. Yeah. Will do. I, I watch zombie shows and it's like, dude, just run. I, run I, I know. I would run face first into a zombie. Eat me, end it. Yeah. Just let me die. I'm living in fear and constant running and oh. I, I couldn't do it either. No, just shoot me. Have my friend shoot me in the head. And, and just, then eat me. Yeah. I'd rather feed the village of the dead or the undead then run from them forever. It takes a village, but they're not satiable. It's not like they're going to eat one person and be like, you know what? Let's call this whole apocalypse thing off. So <laughs> I just don't want to experience it. I don't want to be thirsty. I don't want to not have my pretzel crisps whenever mm. I want them and monster energy drinks. Like I, I went to Turks and Caicos over like whatever it was and they didn't have white monsters. I was like, this island sucks. Oh, talk about doomsday. Yeah. You know, Turks and Caicos without your fancy drink. Poor you. And they had Coke Zeros, but they were flat. Oh, come on. Like these poor people don't get to experience like a nice, crispy, choking, attack the back of the throat Coke Zero. That's what I want. I want to feel like I'm being suffocated by carbonation and chemicals when I drink a Coke Zero. The struggle is real for some people. Yeah. So yeah, we talk about true crime. You're the expert. You are actually, you work in the field. You are an investigator. I make memes for a living and make jokes and, you know, I'm dumb, so. You're not dumb. We've talked about this. You're not dumb. Uh, listen, if I want to be dumb, I'll be dumb. I, you know what? I wish I was dumb, but I'm not dumb. Why do you wish you were dumb? Because life would be so much easier. Yeah. I, I just have to make no decisions. Just make decisions based on what You'd make else. decisions, but they would probably be bad ones. But I could also just, like, choose to be a Republican or a Democrat and just like go with the party line and not have to think too hard about anything. Right. But it is what it is. Ignorance a, is bliss. I'm a thinker. Ignorance is, is ignorance and bliss is bliss. Enlightenment is bliss, but I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. So too deep. You're going to walk me through a case. I'm going to derail it with inappropriate comments because this stuff scares me and gives me anxiety. And I'm going to just try to be some comic relief in this horrific landscape of crime that you're about to lay out. And I can't wait to hear what kind of horrible case you've brought to us this week. All right. You ready? Yeah. As ready as you're ever going to be? I'm way readier than I ever thought I could be. Okay, let's go. The idea of childhood innocence alludes to the purity of all children and the fact that they have not yet experienced the complications of everyday life, right? Kids are innocent. And the innocence of children tends to inspire a sense of optimism and hope, unspoken but universally understood, while instilling a sense of regeneration with each generation. Oh, man. I knew you would like that. She is like unbelievable. Take that, Jay-Z. Really good. Wait, say it one more time. Yes. So while instilling a sense of regeneration with each generation. But tonight, we're going to examine all the ways in which our perpetrator completely shatters our concept of innocence and purity. 
So please take note that this is an official trigger warning. Tonight, we're going to be discussing the tragic murder of an entire family, including a young child, which was carefully premeditated and brutally committed by another child. Nice. God. Chucky. It's not a killer doll. It's a human. It's a killer human. Um, how old was the kid? I'm sure you're going to... We're going to get into it. This is the story of Jasmine Richardson and her downward spiral from middle-class, church-going honor student and beloved child to family annihilator. What a brat. It's a whole new world for that, Jasmine. Family annihilator. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she went. She about to go on a magic carpet ride, dog. <laughs> pull that magic carpet from beneath you and take your joke. Oh my God! Okay, so Jasmine, what was her name? Jasmine. Jasmine Richardson. Jasmine Richardson. And we're going to explore how and why such a young, seemingly typical girl carried out such an unthinkable crime, and how and why she was essentially able to walk free. What? Your eyes just like bugged out of your head. On April 23rd, 2006, death mercilessly struck three members of the Richardson family in their home in a town called Medicine Hat, Canada. What a dumb name for a town. Okay. It's not the town's fault. I would have killed my family too. Local residents were known as (laughs) Hatters, by the way. Medicine Hat? Yeah. What kind of psycho built that town? I don't know, but it is the sunniest city in all of Canada. The sun literally shines 330 days of the year. It's like being the, the smartest monkey in the zoo, though. Am I right? Sure. You're Canada, right. Canada's not a very sunny place. Okay. 330 days a year is pretty good, though. That's amazing. Medicine Hat, Canada. Mm-hmm. Go look it up. I'm going to look it up. Okay. The mother of the family, Deborah Richardson, was discovered lying on the floor in an unnatural position with her head slightly supported by the back of the couch. She was sprawled out on the carpet in a pool of blood, covered in blood streaks and smears up and down her bare legs wearing a hiked-up blue nightgown, exposing her naked body from the waist down. Crying and whining by her side was a small black dog named Julia. No, a dog was involved in... Yeah, and the dog's name was Julia, and I feel like that's a name you would give one of your dogs. My dog's name is Tyler. Exactly. Yeah, so Julia, poor Julia. She was probably so sad. Terrible. That's the worst part of the story. So it's another victim in this case, really. Who can't even express their grief. Correct. Except by crying and whining. Right. Mark Richardson, Deborah's husband, was discovered past Deborah's body to the left. He was lying face up on the ground in his boxer shorts with blood splatters and streaks covering his body. Mark's right eye socket was nothing more than a gaping red hole surrounded by slashes and cuts on the rest of his face. And his hands were clenched upward, frozen in rigor mortis as if ready for a fight. Wow. So he quite literally died fighting. Wait, so this person didn't just like poison their family. They like brutally. Yeah. This child. There's more to it, but yes, this child premeditated everything you're hearing. Strong kid. Yeah. Well, you're going to come to hear that there was. She was on steroids. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Another key player involved that had assisted. Oh, okay. I see what's happening here. I think I, I'm going to You have told, no clue what's happening. Totally clueless. Jacob Richardson, the eight-year-old son of Deborah and Mark, was found murdered in his bed upstairs on the second floor, surrounded by wrestling figurines, Pokemon cards, and a Star Wars lightsaber, which is by far the worst sentence I have ever uttered in my life. 
That is so sad. Ugh. Eight years old? Eight years old. Ugh. All right, get, come on, go. Get off this. Get <laughs> of off that note sentence. was the fact that Jasmine Richardson, Deborah and Mark's 12-year-old daughter, was absent from this gruesome scene. Police were initially frantic in their search to find Jasmine, and they issued an Amber Alert out of fear that she might have been kidnapped or worse. But the reality of the situation was far more disturbing than anyone had expected. So let's examine the Richardson family up to the point of their murders. Deborah and Mark had both recovered from substance abuse addictions and were living healthy, sober lives when they first met at a gym in Ontario. By the time they tied the knot in 1991, their lives were on the right track. The family increased in size in 1993 when they had Jasmine, and three years later, they welcomed Jacob. The Richardsons were a growing, young, middle-class family living in a prosperous suburb with plenty of sunshine in Medicine Hat. Deborah and Mark, by all accounts, were first-rate parents. They nurtured Jasmine and Jacob emotionally, physically, psychologically, and spiritually. They took family trips together, hosted backyard barbecues, and they were described by neighbors as a Norman Rockwell family. They had their shit together. Old reference, but okay. Really? Norman Rockwell? 2000, the year 2000? don't know Norman Rockwell? We do, but it's like, you know, I'd feel like that's like an 80s or 90s thing Oh, oh, oh. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So what would you say now if you were describing a totally put together... Leave it to Beaver family. What? Are you fucking 90? (laughs) Norman Rockwell is even older than Leave it to Beaver. It's just more like known, I feel like. I think I might say like Pleasantville or something like that. Stepford, what? Uh, That's canned. That's not right either. Pleasantville is like... Pleasantville. Hi, Dottie, you know? Right, right, right. Dottie. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. You come up with that? Yeah, I just saw a, a skirt and a sweater with a collar coming out of it. Her Dottie. I absolutely love being an investigator. I talk about it all the time on the podcast. It is fascinating, thrilling work. And I also love being a true crime podcaster for the same reason. Immersing myself in cases, solving mysteries is my jam. And I know it is also your jam because I get messages all the time asking how to get involved in investigative work. Well, I have a fun idea for you. It's called June's Journey, and it's a game in which you get to be a detective. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many scandalous secrets. What I love most about June's journey is that I get to escape reality and fully immerse myself in the world of June Parker. I relax, I lose myself in the quest of the mystery, and I get to do what I love most, which is to crack cases. I cannot encourage you enough to download June's journey and to unlock your inner detective. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. It's Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini-series is live now each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. 
Deborah and Mark exemplified an ideal marriage, treating each other with respect and kindness and setting a good example for their children by never resorting to violence. Great. Love was always the foundation of their relationship, which is what made Jasmine's violent behavior even more shocking. So we know that not every trauma creates a killer, but most killers are created from trauma. This was not the case here. Kid was just fucking crazy. Yeah, well, we're going to watch. We're going we're gonna to hear, rather. And a jerk. The transformation of Jasmine Richardson. So you're going to tell me about what she was like as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. Like, yeah. not that she's 12 years old. She, but like, she was always a kid. She, was she like cutting mice's heads off? and? No. This is what's absolutely baffling about this perpetrator and this case. She really just broke the mold everywhere. She snapped. She didn't snap. It wasn't like a... a... Oh, she premeditated. Right. Jesus. All right. Yeah, I got to find out what happens. So Jasmine, up until this point, appeared to be a typical preteen girl in every way. She happened to be beautiful, which is not how I remember my preteen years, but she was beautiful. She had long, dark hair, clear blue eyes, a totally delicate looking doll face like her mother. She attended Catholic school, had good friends, and kept a typical preteen bedroom. Right, she had stuffed animals and a white canopy around her bed and knickknacks and just girlish clutter. Her best friend at the time, Aubrey, described Jasmine as understanding, decent, outgoing, and an absolutely amazing person. Yeah, sounds like she's a good judge of character. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But as Jasmine entered adolescence, she began to change in both appearance and personality. She started to use the internet, which expanded her horizons well past the sunny borders of Medicine Hat. Oh, boy. It was around this time that Jasmine developed an interest in what some consider to be a bit eccentric. And here's your first pop quiz. Yeah. Was that interest A, cosplay, B, Wicca, or C, medieval reenactments? Wow. These are really simple choices. Really? Yeah. Like, it's not things I could see a 12-year-old Well, I'm... That makes it a good pop quiz. Oh, it's very good. I have no clue. I'm totally guessing. Cosplay, Wicca, or medieval reenactments. Right. Um, I'm guessing that she got into cosplay. No. Never get it right. Never get it right. But that was a good guess. Like you said, these are sort of all believable. As good as any. Uh, Okay, so now I'm going to guess she got into medieval reenactments. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people might think we plan for me to be this bad at this. But it's I, not planned. It's not premeditated. He's just that fucking bad at these quizzes. So she got into Wicca. She got into Wicca. She became a witch. By the way, guess who also dabbled in Wicca as an adolescent? Me. Investigators you? later. Oh, God. Jeez, help. I would hold seances with my friends with like skulls everywhere. We went to the public library to get books on hexes. and like, You can't see it. Really? Oh. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Like, really? I'm very dark. Yeah. I'm still a little dark, but it has less to do with witchcraft and like neo-pagan beliefs and more to do with just being an overall dark person. Yeah. Wednesday. Wednesday. You literally just called me Wednesday before we started recording. Yeah. Jasmine was so taken by Wicca that she fashioned a pentagram out of black tape on the bedroom wall, like this big wall in her bedroom. She made a big pentagram out of like black duct tape. Maybe I was into Wicca. And she framed it. I used to draw pentagrams. Are you sure they were pentagrams and not just stars? And- Upside down stars with a circle? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I thought they were cool. Maybe you missed your calling. You were being like summoned. Being summoned by Wicca. Mm-hmm. So Jasmine was in sixth grade by this point in the case, just for reference. 
And she had begun to question the elements of formal religion being taught at her school, including the concept of hell. And it was during this time, crucially, when Jasmine began to feel a powerful pull towards the goth community (laughs) and standing out from dominant culture. Her sudden preference for wearing oversized dark hoodies, a dog collar, chains, exaggerated black eyeliner, black nail polish, it all suggested to the world that she just had the freedom to break the mold. Oh, she's so unique. I mean, that's the thing, right? She started listening to horror punk music and disconnecting from everything that had previously made her, her. But more importantly than the aesthetic or musical component of goth life, Jasmine felt what she interpreted to be a genuine connection to the goth message, which included, amongst other things, feeling alienated from mainstream society. Yeah, like every 11 and 12-year-old, I guess. Right. Did we have, I, don't, I was trying to think about this. I don't think we had a goth crew at our high school. Are you kidding me? Oh, I guess you did. Your year. I cannot recall... Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, goth back then was different. It wasn't so goth and so emo, but there was like dog collars and... That's true. Dyed black hair and black shirts and black pants and moping around the school and, you know, being weird and... Authentic followers of like true goth can be defined as those who love gothic rock, gothic literature... Victorian and medieval history and contemporary horror film. No, yeah, these people were not reading uh, right. Edgar Allan Poe. I think they were right. just like listening to Nirvana and thought they looked good in black. And fuck establishment. Yeah. I'm goth. Yeah, exactly. I got a dog collar on, man. But people who belong, and this is important because when this case broke, the people in the goth community were very, very upset by the connection to their subculture like when media was saying that Jasmine and this other person that we're going to talk to, that we can point our fingers at the goth community and the messages that they were being taught. It's really not the case. Like goths are not violent. No, but do you like, you remember Marilyn Manson being brought in front of, you know, the public opinion saying Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. His fault. It's not, it's never, obviously there are things that people who have an inner darkness relate to or that resonates with them. I was very into the Long Island hardcore scene Mm -hmm. back then. What is that? Uh, What did that entail? Bands like VOD and Madball and Tension and this no 0% chance that anybody listening to this knows these bands, but small shows at VFW halls or whatever, like, place you can get for 200 bucks a night and have a bunch of bands come and everyone pays five bucks you pay the bands a hundred dollars and it's a very 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 fun time for me at that point so i relate to the goth mentality Mm -hmm. not the outward expression of it okay i think a lot of this is relatable i think a lot of preteen adolescent kids just explore in general with identifying in different ways with different groups they want to fit in they think fitting in maybe means i'm going to show you that i don't fit in with mainstream society, which was definitely the case here with Jasmine. So a lot of this is relatable. Well, nobody knows who they are. I would venture to say that a lot of adults don't really know who they are. It takes a lot of work to figure out who you are under all circumstances. And hopefully in some circumstances, you never find out who you are because, you know, who would I be if I saw a robbery happening? Like what I, you you don't need to know that. So straight A, formerly conventional Jasmine, began pulling away from her friends and gravitating towards the much older goth kids who hung out at the Medicine Hat Mall. Actually, now I can picture goth kids at the mall. Yeah. I see them in the parking lot. Yeah. 
smoking cloves, by the way. Oh, which yeah. is, a, I mean, such a rude thing to do. Ugh, it's just gross. Those people have a sense of smell, like people who wear patchouli and cl- and smoke cloves. Oh, I like, like patchouli. All right, good to know. You know that the soap in your bathroom is patchouli, right? Nah, no, it's... Sandalwood? No, it's it's an old molten brown brand. They used to have a toku when I worked there. It was Thai Lime Vare. I want you to look at what it says. Patchouli and lime. Yes. I know what it says. It says patchouli. But please, it's not, it it doesn't smell like, uh, you know. It smells like patchouli, homeboy. Keep reading, please. Not only was she changing in ways under her control, but she was also changing developmentally in ways that were out of her control. She was beginning to stand out amongst her peers as looking more mature. Boobs. Yes, precisely. It's rough. Well, it happens and most of us turn out okay. Yeah, I mean... But it is tough. It is. There's some like studies that show that girls who experience early signs of puberty are at higher risk for delinquency and aggressive behavior. Yeah, because they get treated older by Correct. fucking stupid ass men who look at somebody who looks like a woman and can't see that they have a child's face. Correct. Like, what is wrong with you, dude? And these girls are also more likely to be depressed, socially withdrawn, moody, and sexually active. This is obviously not a blanket rule that applies to everyone who went through early puberty. I went through, I think it was early puberty and I turned out mostly okay. But Jasmine did indeed exhibit some of these traits. Just a few months shy of her 12th birthday, she registered on a website called mindviz.com, which was a social networking website where you can message, chat, make friend requests, the usual shit. On this page, mindviz.com, Jasmine listed her sexual orientation as bisexual did not list her age and had a profile picture in which she held a realistic looking replica handgun in her right hand pointing up towards the ceiling. She was also on MySpace where she falsely listed her age as 16. Pop quiz. Who did Jasmine list as her hero on her MySpace page? She's 11 or 12 at this point. A few months shy of her 12th birthday. Okay. Marilyn Manson. Oh boy. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh boy. Edgar Allan Poe. Tim Burton. Who did she name as her hero on her MySpace page? God, these are good. Can I tell you a quick story about Tim Burton? Sure. He's so good at what he does, and his style is so obviously his. You see something that was made, you know it's made by him. (laughs) I may have told you this story, but we watched Beetlejuice, Mm -hmm. me and my sons and and wife, and uh, we then watched Edward Scissorhands, Tim Burton. Mm Mm-hmm. But my son couldn't remember, my youngest son couldn't remember the name of the movie. So he goes, dad, dad, put on that, put on that movie we watched. I was like, which movie? He goes, uh, uh, Beetlejuice, The Cutter. (laughs) (laughs) The lines are blurry. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's how good Tim Burton is at what he does. He's amazing. So Tim Burton, Edgar Allan Poe, Jeffrey Dahmer, or Marilyn Manson. I mean, I'm going to reach here and say Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh my God. I got it right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I'll tell you why yeah, I guess that. I need to know. Because that is a cry for help. <laughs> and this girl was- Right, the other ones are too in the box for a goth. Obviously going through it. Right, well, right. no, I mean, it would have been weird if, you know, she listed any of them as her hero, but to list Jeffrey Dahmer as her hero, it's like- I almost didn't say that because it's a little too obvious because she's obviously about to become a killer, but um, she was also way ahead of her time because he's everyone's hero now. He sure is. Everyone loves Jeff. Netflix's hero. Little JD. 
Jasmine listed her interests on MySpace as hatchets, serial killers, criminal psychology, blood, moonlight, human anatomy, and quote, kinky shit. Moonlight? (laughs) I mean, I feel like that might be my profile interests today. But remember that she's 11. Yeah, big difference. She made a bunch of other profiles on a bunch of other websites and eventually became known by the username Runaway Devil. She went on to overly exaggerate her transition from a little girl's world of ribbons and buttercups to mosh pits and kinky shit. Yeah. Also, she write a book. Also, she mentions liking midgets, piercings, tattoos, suspension, plastic spoons, bitch boots, oversized tricycles, oddly colored contacts, wookie noises, fake eyelashes, and duct tape, amongst other things. Jeez, that was a lot of things. Very typical for a budding goth during this time period, but it's reflective of her desperation to shed her innocent little girl skin and to play with the big goth kids in their black sandbox. Why was she so desperate to, you know, I guess we'll find out. Every kid I think at that age wants to be- That's what I'm saying. I think it's actually very relatable up until this point. Maybe this wasn't true for you and maybe maybe I'm like a little pathetic, but like whoever I was dating, I sort of like took on- the interests and persona, what? Well, it's so funny. Now, keep, keep, unless you're done with that. No, no. I mean, I'm just saying if I, you were talking about patchouli before and I was laughing because I, like I dated like a hippy dippy kind of guy for a little while in high school. Yeah. I rocked that patchouli. I went to fish concerts. I listened to Pink Floyd. Like I, I like really, really, it wasn't me, but it was me. Because, it was you at the time. Right, how, exactly. how am I not myself? How Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so my older sister was very much like that. And I remember she dated this guy who, when she was dating him, she was like a little bit like gangstered out, like, you know, f- matching sweatsuits and the makeup and the ponytail and whatever. Did you see Couture? No, this is like 1990. Oh, oh, oh. Two, yeah, we're older. Your, your older sister. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, she dated this guy who was like a, a metalhead and she got like, you know, Iron Maiden jackets, whatever. And then like she went through like three or four different iterations of this with different guys that she dated over the years, right? So then one day she comes out of her room and she's wearing a sweatsuit with the makeup and the ponytail. And I go to my other sister, I go, is she dating Jason again? <laughs> and we fucking <laughs> lost it. Lost it. Because it was like so obvious. Yeah who she was dating based on what kind of very normal thing to do. Oh yeah. But it was this desire for Jasmine to be seen as a bad girl that ultimately drove her directly into the pale goth arms (laughs) of 23 year old Jeremy Stanky. (laughs) And that's actually, no, I knew I wasn't going to be able to say that. And I feel bad for laughing because he was really fucking bullied for that name. Drove her into the pale goth arms of 23 year old Jeremy Stanky. (laughs) Stanky. Yes. No wonder he fucking poor guy. Yeah. How do you not change your name? Uh, he's... No, no, not him. His okay, because parents. I, wait till you hear about this guy. It's the least of his issues. They could have come from that, you know, giving your kid a name is a big deal. I know. You Trust like me. Create their identity. And Absolutely. You just, and you, with your kids, you just created mini use. You send, their, you send uh, your kid out into the world with a last name like that? It's rough. I think I would have pronounced it like Stank. It wouldn't have mattered. Like, you know? How's it spelled? S-T-E-I-N-K-E. Wait a second. 
So Stein, S-T-E-I-N or Steen. Yeah. K-E. Stanka. Oh, so you're just going to walk around like straight up German all day. Stanky. Stanky. There's no good way, I feel like. No, even if it's not even close, kids are going to stankify it. Well, so are teachers. We're going to hear about that. Oh, This kid had it rough. But Jeremy Allen Stanky was a high school dropout who lived in a medicine hat trailer park with his mom. Oh, I forgot we're in medicine hat. Anything And unless you a rap god from 8 Mile, it's not a great place to be. It's no secret that costs of goods are out of control. Business owners, large and small, know this. I'm a small business owner who happens to be physically large. Cost of goods drives up cost of services, which drives up cost of goods. It's unending. But there is a solution. NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is a solution, not a problem. A lot of technology is just a bigger, faster problem. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs, cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And listen, 37,000 companies are using it. That doesn't happen by mistake. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash psychopedia. That's netsuite.com slash psychopedia. netsuite.com slash psychopedia. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. He had bigger issues going on, including an alter ego that he claimed was vicariously liable for his actions and behavior. Pop quiz. Mm. With respect to his alter ego, did Jeremy A, believe himself to be a dark balance to Jesus Christ himself, like the yin to Jay-Z's yang? B, believe himself to be an undead being brought back to life by a supernatural crow? Or C, believe himself to be a 300-year-old werewolf? He was one of those. He had an alter ego that was one of those. He was Jesus Christ's dark side. Right. Undead brought back to life by a crow. Right. Or a 300-year-old werewolf. Right. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to say that he was, in his brain, an undead person who was brought back by a crow. No. That's literally the plot to the crow. An undead vigilante brought back to life by a supernatural crow is the premise for the crow. I thought maybe that's where he got the idea from, even though I've never seen that movie. That's why I put it in there. I'm like, ah, he's He's not going to go. He's going to fall for this one. Wait a second. That's the literally the plot of the crow. Okay. All right. What's the right answer? (laughs) 
He considered himself a 300-year-old werewolf. Not what I thought you were going to say. I would have guessed the other one. Yep. So he considered himself part of the, quote, Lycan Brotherhood whose empire would one day rise. And he wrote about this on his personal blog. Of course, he had a blog. Yeah. He would warn people in Medicine Hat to avoid the thick underbrush of the nearby river valley when the moon was on the rise, else he might eat them. Yeah. Which, by the way, never happened because nobody ever died on a full moon. So, like, at least if you're going to, like, talk shit, have something to back it up. I mean, you're asking a lot of this guy, (laughs) considering. Fair. (laughs) But here's the sad reality of Jeremy Stanky's childhood. Don't call him that. It's his name. All right, fine. He was abused by an alcoholic father and two subsequent stepfathers. His birth father used to whip him with a belt and drag him to his bedroom by his ears. So it's no wonder he dropped out of school only three months into the 10th grade. Jeremy started using marijuana, ecstasy, mushrooms, and alcohol at the age of 14. In fact, when he was only 15, he became so inebriated that he passed out outside and needed to be taken to the hospital for hypothermia. Wow. Yeah. Jeremy would also cut himself. Now, I'm not a mental health professional, but my research on cutting explains that people cut themselves to feel something when they otherwise feel numb. Yep. It validates that they're alive and it also helps to release overwhelming tension stemming from intense feelings that they struggle to communicate. Yeah. And it can also be a form of self-punishment. And I think probably all of that applied to Jeremy. He worked several dead-end jobs and began dating younger and younger and younger girls. Now, some theories suggest that he did that because he had learning difficulties and maturity-wise, he was just younger. So he was attracted to younger girls. Other research suggests that he intentionally sort of groomed younger girls so that he could manipulate them. They're easier to manipulate. He got really into heavy metal bands like Slipknot and Cradle of Filth. And by 2005, he had fully embraced a goth lifestyle (laughs) with a heavy splash of werewolves and vampires. (laughs) And being 300. Right. The ironic thing is that in this ever-growing violent internet bravado that he was developing... He was really going against what we talked about earlier, true goth culture, which is generally nonviolent and just about being your own person, like live and let live. And reading poetry. Edgar Allan Poe. Itchery. Itchery. Yeah. But for the first time in his tragic life, Jeremy found acceptance and a community where he felt he belonged. He was popular and he was well-liked and he was looked up to by baby goths at the mall, which he loved. <laughs> the Hot Topic store. <laughs> Seriously. No joke. All Jeremy needed now was a super young girlfriend. As such, he wrote and posted a poem that read, I live inside an ice empire where my heart is cold and sheltered. I wish I could find a queen who I can trust to melt it, who can light my way through the darkness of day and save this kingdom from falling. Enter Jasmine Richardson. That spoke to her. That spoke to her. Well, she's very advanced for an 11-year-old. She wants to be. She's also just in the goth community. She's drawn to this guy. Apparently, lots of little young goth girls were into Jeremy. So there's conflicting reports regarding how the two actually met. Some sources say that they met on vampirefreaks.com. Fucking kidding me. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah, it's a site geared towards uniting the goth community. Others say they were introduced at the mall by a mutual friend, but most sources say that they met at a punk rock concert. So we're going to go with that. Sure. But anyway, here's all that matters. 
They met in 2006 when Jasmine was 12 Where and Jeremy were her was 23. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to get to that. What is she doing at a punk Jasmine's concert? parents understandably took issue with everything that they were seeing. Okay. Particularly with the fact that her new boyfriend was 23. Oh, yeah. Even though her mother used to joke that Jasmine was 12 going on 20. Also, I did read something interesting. I want to bring this up because I think this shit is interesting. Adolescence is typically the only time in life when people feel older than their age. The only decade where people identify with their true age is during the 20s. After 30, the average person feels younger than their chronological age. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. You don't find it interesting? No, it isn't. You do? Okay. I don't know if you're being like facetious. No, because I'm 42 years old. I don't feel... 42. I think I've told you I turned 22 and then I turned 36. Right. My twin sister and I always, when people ask how old we are, we say 26. We're 40. Yeah. 26. We're locked in. Yeah. But I also really do feel better and healthier now than I did when I was 26. Oh, I was a disaster Well, 26. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, I was not a disaster. Like I had my shit together, but like Definitely psychologically. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was not able to stand still for even a second or keep a thought from entering my head and dominating the space. Yeah, it's a tough place to be in. Yeah. Of course, like the more Jasmine fought with her parents and raged against the machine, the more she sought solace in Jeremy. Yeah, she was going to become a slayer. (laughs) Took a pet pantera. Her tragic life that's sarcastic, was filled with rules and curfews and in direct opposition was her escape route from all that in a Jeremy-shaped package. And love and caring parents. Her parents really, really tried to rein her in, which I'll get to in a little bit. But she saw her ticket out and she saw a really loud way of saying fuck you to her parents by continuing to date Jeremy. Stanky. Right. He had it all in her eyes, from the goth look to the fuck establishment attitude to the ability to make the final and fatal move against her family. Pop quiz regarding Jeremy's aesthetic. Yeah. Did he, A, wear a vial of blood around his neck, B, grow his fingernails and toenails long, or C, did he have a tattoo of a Marilyn Manson quote saying, quote, I wasn't born with enough middle fingers? Uh, The tattoo. No. Don't tell me he grew his toe. toe no, but I put that one in there because like, I figured a werewolf would have long nails. So yeah, I, thought that would I was visualizing long toenails mm-hmm. and I didn't like it at all. Yeah, it's gross, but it could have been. But he wore a, a vial of blood around his neck. Wow, what a, what a real interesting guy. Yeah, he claimed that he loved the taste of iron-rich plasma and that he wore the vial in case he ever got a craving. Oh, he's a werewolf. He's a werewolf, but that's, but that's a vampire. A vamp- yeah, thing. I know. But it was on vampirefreaks.com. This guy's shot. <laughs> guy doesn't know who the fuck he is. He also gifted Jasmine a vial of his own blood to wear wow. around her neck, and she did. What a guy. So keep in mind that Deborah and Mark monitor Jasmine's computer use. Listen, also first, by the way, just real quick, red flag. If somebody wears blood around their neck and they give you blood to wear around your neck. I mean, it was good enough for Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton. We saw it happen with MGK and uh, Megan Fox too, though. Look what happened with them. Mm. And Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Uh, Jolie. True, true, true. It doesn't work amongst those types of people. You're right. It can't work. Also, tattoo rings. Yeah. They don't work. No. Don't do it. No. Nice idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. So Mark, uh, Jasmine's dad, even took her computer to a local shop to have them hack into her MSN account 
And when they weren't able to help, he took the entire computer away from Jasmine. They were on her. They really were. Listen, we're parents, right? It's really tough to know how much of a lead to give them, how much of a lung of a leash, if you will, to keep them on. Because if you close the ranks on them too much, then rebellion is definitely going to face you. But if you also let them just live their lives according to the fucked up ways they want to do it, you're also putting them in harm's way. It's just a delicate balance. And they tried. Well, I, in their defense, I don't think they could have parented her right. better. And they did try to rein her in and prevent her from seeing Jeremy. They grounded her. They cut off her phone privileges. They took her MP3 player away. They took her eyeliner away, her hair straightener away. They were trying in the ways that they knew how. Well, she's a 12-year-old dating a 23-year-old. Listen, you got to try and keep your kids, obviously, out of harm's way. Safety first. You got to talk to the 23-year-old too. Right. You got to say, dude, come near my fucking daughter again. We're going to have a real problem, you goth freak. (laughs) You're into blood? You're into blood, son? I'll show you. It's very into blood. Yeah, I'd probably like it. They continued seeing each other, Jeremy and Jasmine. They fantasized about getting married, having a goth wedding, getting tattoo (laughs) rings, and living in a castle in Europe. Nightmare. Then, on March 20th, 2006, at 7.10 p.m., Jasmine messaged Jeremy on the computer. She wrote, Roar, I hate them. So I have this plan. How did she spell Roar? How do you think? R-A-W-R? Yes. Yeah. God. She's so good. are good at this computer thing. (laughs) So she said, Roar, I hate them. So I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. And Jeremy responded with, Well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with like details and stuff. Jasmine, on many occasions and often in front of mutual friends, openly discussed her wish for Jeremy to annihilate her family. One of Jeremy's friends later indicated that Jeremy told him that he was worried that if he didn't do it, Jasmine would break up with him. On March 24th, Jeremy posted a poem on one of his pages that said, Their throats I want to slit, They will regret the shit they have done, especially when I see to it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. A few weeks later, Jasmine lost her virginity to Jeremy, and the two entered into the phase of plotting the massacre of Jasmine's entire family. Wow. So now it's the night of April 23rd, 2006, and Jeremy is tweaking on cocaine high on pot and ecstasy, drunk on beer and vodka, and vampire Syrah wine? Oh, Syrah. Syrah. Apparently, Alice Cooper bought the initial 200 cases of that type of wine or something. He's out of his fucking head. Oh, yeah. He throws a pine cone at Jasmine's bedroom window to let her know that he's outside. I don't know why he didn't put his head through it, but he threw a pine cone at it. Such a weird choice. Every part of the couple's brand coalesced within them that night. The anger, the rebellion, the morbid poetry, death metal lyrics, internet bravado, alter egos, and rage. And of course, bloodlust. Jasmine left the basement window open for Jeremy to climb into. And this is when Deborah, Jasmine's mother, heard a noise. And this brings us full circle, right, to the top of the episode. Dressed in her blue nightgown, she went down to the basement and turned on the light. There, she was greeted by a terrifying figure wearing black clothing, a black mask, black fishnet arm stockings, a neck bandana, and light eyes colored in black eyeliner. 
the cocaine-fueled Jeremy lunged at Deborah, slashing and stabbing her exposed torso with the knife that she brought in her hands, like defensively up to her face. He, Jesus. This is when Mark bolted out of bed in his boxer shorts and went to defend his wife, who by that point was slumped on the ground and covered in blood. There was a brief moment when the two men, so Mark Richardson and Jeremy, were neck and neck in battle. But Jeremy gained the upper hand after gouging a screwdriver into Mark's right eye. Oh, that's how the eye thing happened. Yeah. After being stabbed repeatedly and just moments before he breathed his last breath, Mark uttered the word, why? Yeah. To his killer. Great question. And Jeremy's reply would be the last words Mark ever heard. And he said, because you treat your daughter like shit. It's what your daughter wanted. Ooh, that's rough. I hate it. Yeah, I don't like that. I hate it. Jeremy, now completely soaked in Deborah and Mark's blood, made his way upstairs where Jasmine greeted him with kisses and words of I love you. They made their way to the top floor of the house and entered little Jacob's purple bedroom. Skip this part. I'm skipping it. They took his life. I can't get into the details. Why did they do that to him? Well... Jasmine in interviews said that she knew or felt she knew that her brother could not live without his parents. He was a scared little boy. He He was eight years old. Of (laughs) course. Well, we know this. She almost implied that she was doing it out of mercy. But obviously, no. She did it or? uh, So uh, she stabbed him uh in the chest and Jeremy slit his throat. So it was fast. Kind of. It wasn't fast. Well, throat slit is pretty no, fast. No, it was not fast. If you read accounts about how forensics kind of broke down, there was blood in the hallway. He tried to get out. Ugh. He ultimately, he took his lightsaber to try to defend himself. I can't. Jasmine told Jeremy that she needed a few minutes and after she got her shit together, they would just hightail it out of there. But by the time Jasmine went downstairs to meet him by the back door like they agreed upon, Jeremy had already gone, leaving behind a blood smear on the door handle and leaving behind Jasmine. So remember, he's tweaking. He's like totally fucked up. He's just murdered everyone. Jasmine took her mother's ATM card. So she robbed her dead mother, which is not cool. The least of... uh, (laughs) The least of what happened, but also so not cool. It's like insult to injury. She went to a nearby 7-Eleven, withdrew cash, and then took a cab to Jeremy's trailer. They sat on his bed and made out before packing Jeremy's bag and driving off in his mother's pickup truck to a friend's apartment, barely one kilometer away from Jasmine's house that had the bodies inside. Did she ask him why he left? Like, No. I mean, just, he, just he was... He, well, he was... Re- First of all, she was had zero reaction at this point to what was going on, whether she was in shock or whether she's just... You can't diagnose psychopathy in a girl that young. Yeah. But the way she describes herself in that state to me reads, you're either completely psychopathic or in shock. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe both. I don't know if you can be both actually. At this point, Jasmine and Jeremy are on the run and the police are investigating. So they go to Jasmine's school because they think she could have been kidnapped. They're still trying to find her and they gain access to her locker When they open her locker, they realize that they might be dealing with something far more sinister than they thought. In Jasmine's locker was a drawing depicting a stick figure family of three, all burning alive with two people watching, laughing, 
and running towards a vehicle that was labeled Jeremy's truck. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's such a 12-year-old thing to do. Yeah. Like, you know, like, what the hell? He's not even great at drawing. It's like a, that's so weird to picture, that drawing, just stick figures and Jeremy's truck. And they're burning alive, and she and Jeremy in the picture are laughing. Not subtle. It was at that moment when Jasmine Richardson went from missing to murder suspect. Ah, uh, yeah, Great police work. At 7.51 the next day, this next part is great police work. In a town called Leader, which was less than 100 miles away from Madison Hat, Constable Aaron Ewart spotted a truck pulled over at a gas station, which contained four people inside, two of whom were Jasmine and Jeremy's friends, and the other two were Jasmine and Jeremy. And on the side of Jeremy's truck, it said Jeremy's truck. <laughs> it was this picture. <laughs> Jasmine didn't have pants on. Just a little side note. In the gas station? In the truck in the gas station. Oh, okay. Now, this police officer had seen the pictures of Jeremy and Jasmine the day before, and he recognized them. So he drew his service pistol, he ordered them out of the vehicle, and he cuffed them. And he arrested them. And as Jeremy was being placed into the back of the police car, he yelled out to his friend, tell my mom she can have my TV and that I love her. Like, he, he knew it was over. Oh, Yeah. Less than 30 hours after the massacred family was discovered by a six-year-old neighborhood boy peeking through the window Ugh. of the Richardson house, he went to see if Jacob wanted to play. Oh, my God. Jeremy and Jasmine were in custody and each charged with three counts of first-degree murder. It was determined that Deborah suffered from 12 stab wounds, the fatal one being to her heart. Mark suffered 24 stab wounds and died of blood loss, fighting like a warrior until the very end. And little Jacob, um, five stab wounds to his chest and his throat was slit. Oh, I can't even talk. It's so bad. You're about to cry, huh? Yeah. It, it, it's terrible. Yeah. At 12 years and six months of age, Jasmine Richardson became the youngest person charged with multiple homicides in Canada. As set out in Canadian law, a person can be found guilty of murder in four ways. One, by directly committing the murder. Two, by aiding the perpetrator as in like physically assisting the killer to commit the murder or helping them to gain entry into, right? Which is exactly what she did. She left the basement window open for him. Three, by abetting the killer or like encouraging, inciting, which she did. Or four, by counseling the killer, such as coaching him or her on how to carry out the crime. So she's pretty guilty. She's pretty fucking guilty. She pleaded not guilty, however, and her defense tried to convince the jury that she was essentially groomed by this disturbed older man and that like she was under his love spell, pun intended. Her defense team claimed that Jasmine was just joking about wanting to kill her parents and that Jeremy took things too far, but the jury didn't buy it. They returned a verdict with astounding swiftness. They deliberated for just three hours. And they found Jasmine Richardson guilty on three counts of first-degree murder. But Canadian law under the Youth Criminal Justice Act states that the sentence imposed on Jasmine, given her age, had to be the least restrictive possible while still holding her accountable for her actions. So the maximum custodial sentence that Jasmine could receive was just six years, followed by another four years of conditional supervision in the community, like parole. Wow. She was also eligible to receive rehabilitation services geared towards violent young offenders suffering from mental illness, a psychological disorder, or an emotional disturbance. I mean, she's going to grow up in jail, so she's going to, I mean, her life is... Uh, I mean, you might, you're, not many people take that 
It's a thought process. Well, she's tw- 12 to 18. She's going to be in jail. Like her life is fucked. I don't think that's the case. So it's over, right? Her period's over. So it was determined that she suffered from a conduct disorder, by the way, just getting back to why she was sentenced, what she was sentenced and whatever. Conduct disorder is like the pediatric version of an antisocial personality disorder. She was also diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. Someone under the age of 18 cannot legally be labeled a psychopath or a sociopath. Instead, they get the label of conduct disorder. She was sentenced to four years in custody since she had already served 18 months in custody during the trial and four and a half years of community supervision, which was the maximum sentence that they were allowed to give her. Under Canada law, youths cannot be punished, only rehabilitated. Jeremy was given the mandatory prescribed sentence, which was life without parole for 25 years. So in 2033, he'll be eligible for parole. Hope he obviously should not get it for so many reasons. And today, Jasmine is living quietly in an unknown community somewhere in a secret location. But uh, she's described as being the poster child for rehabilitation. So to me, it would seem that she's doing just fine. Where does she live? Medicine shirt? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Medicine Where it jacket. rains 330 days of the year. <laughs> Wow. So she's, listen, I mean, it's a bad story. It's rough. It's really rough. It's funny because I related to everything but the brutal parts. Like I related to her draw to the goth community. I related to her having this alter ego. I related to going through puberty very young and dealing with that. I get all that. Yeah. I don't get the rest of it. Yeah. Well, obviously, you're not a... Thankfully, I don't get it. You're not a killer. Maybe dark, but I'm not violent. Fun dark. Right. Not like, you know... Right, right, right. Dark, dark. Not scary dark. Right. So I want to end on a pop quiz. Great. Which movie largely inspired Jeremy to follow through with the mass murdering of the Richardson family? Can't wait. A, Heathers. (laughs) B, Natural Born Killer. C, Fear. Hmm. Heathers, Natural Born Killers... Or, fe- or fear? Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg? Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon? Mm-hmm. Let me in the fucking house. Oh, fear. And Alyssa Milano. Fear. Right. So it's not fear, but the whole <laughs> Wait, the, what? The premise of fear is that there's this like middle class teenage girl who's dating a bad boy, which is Marky Mark. Yeah. And she, they, he wants to kill her father because he doesn't allow her. But no, it's not that. So I don't know why I'm going into this whole plot. It's not fear. All it's our- natural born killer. Oh. Sorry, you weren't going to say Heather's, were you? Um, that was probably going to be my really, answer. yeah. Damn, do you have you ever seen Natural Born Killer? Yeah, it's about like a, a romantic couple that goes on a spree killing escapade. Yeah, but like they were out in the in the on the road doing that. I think they hit the road after these murders and maybe intended to keep going. Oh wow, that was like uh, the beginning of their. Could have been. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I'm glad I don't know. I'm glad I haven't thought about that movie, Fear, in a long time. Yeah, it was a good one. Let me in the fucking house! I hated the decapitation of the German Shepherd. I don't remember that part. <sighs> I just... I literally just remember Let Me in the Fucking House. Mm-hmm. That's all I remember. Because it was, like, so scary to me. It was teenager. scary. It was a scary movie. Oh, yeah. That was his second best movie he's ever made. First best is I, I Heart, Heart Huckabees. Huckabees. Yeah. Best movie. So that's what I'm going to be thinking about. I'm just going to try and see. I got to, like unpollute my brain now. Yeah, well, this was tough. This I think anytime a child is involved, and 
one of the victims obviously being a child, but also one of the perpetrators being a child. Yeah, and listen, Jeremy's not a an adult necessarily either. He's uh, There's obviously something very wrong with him that he was 23 years old, thought it was okay to date a 12-year-old. He thought she was 14, but whatever, still. <laughs> that doesn't make it any It does not make it any better. No. I thought she was 13. But he was very immature. He had learning difficulties. You know, I'm not excusing him for one second. He's exactly where he should be right now. But I always empathize with mental illness and just things that are out of people's control that prompt them to behave in outlandish ways. I think that was at play here. Yeah, we can have obviously empathy for the people in the story that committed the crime and still believe that they got what, what they, they deserve. Yeah, like I just because somebody's mentally ill doesn't mean that they should be in society. Like most of the time people that are in jail are not mentally healthy people. Right. Something's missing. Something along the way got turned the wrong way and misinterpreted or maybe they were given bad information or bad modeling by parents or whatever, drugs, mm -hmm. you know. And with Jeremy, he was abused in his childhood by multiple people. All of it. You know, right. He had all of it. He really had all of it. He was primed to go to jail. Yeah. He was going to go to jail for one reason or the other, probably. Probably. You know, it happened to be a cocaine-fueled murder spree. Correct. For On his 12-year-old girlfriend's family. Ugh. What a, whatever. Yeah. I was going to say what a piece of shit, but he's, uh, he's, he's, I mean, he is a piece of shit, but we understand maybe why he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't look at a piece of shit and be like, listen, don't call it a piece of shit. <laughs> it's fucking it's nice. It's still a piece of shit. Yeah. It is what it is. So let's call it what it is. So yeah. Thanks for doing this to me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you to all of our listeners for sticking it out. I hope Everyone can forgive me for this one. It's a very well-known case. Yeah. Um, it, yes. But it really is very fascinating if you, and we won't get into it because it's not a, a legal podcast, but like yeah. the case law around this case, it's just very interesting stuff. It's a very well-known case in the true crime community, but for those who didn't hear it, I am so sorry. And for those who have heard it before, I hope that we brought maybe something new and different. Yeah. And they, you know, obviously... I make jokes. I'm not trying to make light of the, the kid no, being of killed. Really, no, you were, me, you were like, you turned white. It's got me a little messed up. You turned up. whiter than you already are. <laughs> so white. <laughs> this is what you came for. Right. This is what you asked for. This is for you fucking looked for a true crime podcast and clicked play and you got what you wanted. So I hope that you're happy. And if you're not happy, that sounds like a you problem. But uh, if you are happy, <laughs> rate it. Review, subscribe, tell your friends about this new true crime podcast with an incredibly buttoned up professional investigator named Investigator Slater and a, you know, a wild meme making maniac named Tank Sinatra because we're just trying to bring some fun to the true crime space because there is none. It's very scary. And um, I'll be reeling from this episode for quite some time. As will I. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.